We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we have a lot of good things to talk about tonight. The Nets won their home opener for, I think, the first time in seven years. They won 125-99 over the Golden State Warriors, up by 38 at one point in this game, and always really in control since the first quarter. How are you feeling, Jack, after a performance like that? Outscored in the final quarter, Nick. Not good enough. <laughs> We got to see Reggie Perry. I mean, it's funny enough is like we, we've been talking about Reggie Perry a lot, but it's like when he initially was drafted, I'm not sure we would have even saw him play any NBA minutes. He's already logged minutes in this first first game of the season. And you saw Rodion's out there. You saw TLC. You saw Tyler Johnson really got to like that back of the end bench unit because the Nets were up so comfortably in this game. But before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, where do we start with this one? 125-99, just dominance across the board. It, it really was, Nick. I want to ask you the big question, probably what a lot of listeners are here for. Who played better, Dorian or Irving? 
Oh, man. I think uh, Kyrie was better offensively, but KD's two-way impact was definitely felt in this game. You know, the length was just on display. You have three steals, one block, contested a ton of shots, and even a couple of the foul calls I felt like could have been 50-50 the other way for clean block. So really happy with the way they both played. And Kyrie just, you know, kind of set the tone offensively in that first half and just being so dominant. And KD did it with a little bit of everything. Like their fingerprints were all over the game. Look, they. Uh, I, I said it. I, I said it, and it was a bit hot takey at the time that they could be the best superstar duo in the league. They certainly played like it tonight. There is yeah. absolutely no doubt about it that Kevin Durant played like one of the best players in the league, and Kyrie played like a top ten All NBA caliber player in that respect as well. I, I, I echo the sentiments. You know, I thought Kevin Durant looked locked in. His conditioning is only going to continue to improve. You know, there was. I think the offense. It's it's almost weird because like his defense almost looks better than his offense in weird ways because he's moving laterally as well as he is. He's showing defensive IQ. He's taking charges still. I don't like it because it's it still what scares me a bit. What about that he had? He yeah. looked explosive. Like, that's as explosive as you'll ever see Kevin Durant in general. It's not like we're talking about a guy that was, like, you know, the craziest athlete. He was just given he was 6'11", a good athlete for the NBA, and he looked good right there. And, I mean, he just mistimed it. But I think you're right, Jack. I think defensively it's a little bit easier because you don't necessarily need rhythm. You're just kind of reading the game. You know what I mean? And he's such a smart basketball player where you can tell when he's in sync. Like when he started the game in sync on some of those jumpers early on, that was just beautiful basketball. Like you can't really design things better than that. Some of those pull-up jumpers. Dude, it was insane. I think we'll, we'll dive deep into them. We'll keep going with them. But, you know, 8 of 11 from the field to start the game with Katie and Kyrie, 20 points. It was just like, are these guys going to miss? I was just like, and when they were missing, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. you got to hit that 35-footer or whatever. And Kyrie freaking hit a half-court shot as well. It's like, this is insane. What were you most impressed with for, like, the start of the game in terms of, like, the first half? Obviously, we knew the offense was going to be there. We knew Kyrie and KD would probably cook. But what other things kind of stuck out to you when you were like, oh, wow, okay, this is a plus that maybe I didn't anticipate or I wasn't sure it was going to be there? I just thought the on-court rhythm was just there in mm. so many different facets. You know, defensively, I just loved how everyone was just swarming and switching and doubling. You know, getting Kyrie, um, Stephen Curry uncomfortable. You know, we mentioned with, with Nolan on the last pod that, you know, he was the, the biggest warrior heading to this game. 7 of 21 from the field, 2 of 10 from 3. You know, they just made him uncomfortable. They were throwing different bodies there and they were doubling him at the top of the perimeter. I thought the defense was awesome and they was just active and engaged. And, you know, when Joe wasn't taking shots, KD was getting on him. Shoot it! Shoot <laughs> yeah. it, man! I just loved all that sort of stuff, and it just seemed to me that there was just an, an a, a, a unison and a, and a synergy that was just like, this team has been played like two preseason games together. Yeah. So they've been for two years and they won championships. Now, there's still a ways to go, but man, this is a great start. Yeah, the communication defensively, especially when you're dealing with a guy like Steph Curry. Like, you typically, we talk about Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan need to talk a lot. You saw the guards and the wings in this game talking a lot and switching a lot of that off-ball stuff. And like you said, I felt like they were being aggressive. Our guy Matt Brooks brought that up on Twitter, where instead of kind of being passive defensively and giving the defense uh, the offense things, they were kind of dictating that end of the floor, which is something that we really didn't see much of under Kenny Atkinson. And, like, I'm not trying to take a shot at him. I don't think he would have deployed the same defense that we saw from Steve Nash tonight in terms of like hey we know Steph is the best player on that team we are not letting Steph Curry beat us tonight and they pretty much made his life miserable from the start and I almost feel bad for Steph given just this is kind of something he's going to deal with a lot this season 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe he's not going to have like, you know, five, six, five and plus guys having yeah. to swarm him, you know, above the top of the room because the Nets have size. Yeah. That, that entire starting five, the, the depth on their roster, it's basically, you know, Kyrie Irving at like 6'2 and, you know, K- uh, KD gives him shit for being like 5'11 or whatever. But, but it doesn't uh, just... stop him from finishing over two bigs, which we saw tonight. <laughs> Dude, like... My favorite Kyrie shot, just to sort of say it, you know, I think we're we're not going to have any sensitive structure to this podcast. It's a little we're too excited. <laughs> we're free ball in this one, no doubt at all. But my favorite shot from Kyrie Irving tonight, I'm not sure what yours was, Nick, was the pull up from the baseline over like James Wiseman or Kavon Looney. I'm like, oh, he's going to finish the layup here. No, no, he stops on it, and then he has a rainbow shot where the ball is spinning so much. I'm just like, how do you do that? Like, I don't even know if KD can hit that shot. I mean, and the guys are right there. He didn't have much room to get the shot off at all. That was probably my favorite one or maybe the Barclays logo one just because it was like straight up from Barclays. And like part of me felt like he was trying to be like, oh, Steph can do that. Yeah, I can do that shit too. Like, (laughs) Uh, I I put it out on Twitter. I'm like, this is better than the shot that he hit against Chicago last season. Now against Chicago, he got a steal and it was nice. He was sort of pushing it a little bit. There was the energy for it. But as a pure, just objective basketball shot, that was deeper. That was like Damian Lillard, Stephen Curry style. And he's just like, oh, by the way, I'm still here, guys. I'm one of the best point guards in the league. And it kind of just kind of was like the final nail in the half. We're like, okay, we're cooking this game. I think he finished with 24 in the first half. Obviously, he didn't play a ton in the second half. But just having that duo out there, it just puts so much pressure on the other team. And like we saw in the first half, like a lot of it was like, hey, you know, KD and Kyrie do their thing. And the defense almost kind of gave them opportunities to ISO, which, you know, is going to happen a lot because the Nets have so many other weapons. But then in the second half, you kind of saw them give KD and Kyrie a little bit more attention. And Spencer did when he started to attack the rim a little bit more. So like there's always going to be room for guys to attack somewhere. They're just going to have to take advantage of the opportunity when it's presented. Yeah, I mean, I think Spencer struggled a little bit early in terms of finding his own rhythm, looking for DJ way too much. We know it's going to take at least like 45 games for them to get the catch. <laughs> The lob pick and roll with those two going. Uh, we did take a couple of games last season and we were frustrated on the buzz uh, with that. But I thought that his, his aggression and just decision-making and conviction from the third quarter and during that third quarter was like, I'm taking this shot. I'm driving it. I'm getting to the line. And you could tell it's just like, yeah, this is what we want Spencer to be. If he can be that for three, four quarters, maybe hopefully only three quarters for the majority of the season. Yeah. But in saying that, I thought that third quarter, he looked really good. And I think as well, you know, he's he's still a decent enough defender. You know, he's athletic enough. He's incredibly smart. I've, I've mentioned that a million times. And look, the stat line of nine points, five rebounds, four assists doesn't look too flashy on paper, but he did get to the line four times as well. I just the thought plus that- 24 looks nice. I mean, the plus 24, there wasn't, like, your plus 21 for Joe Harris, plus 21. The entire starting five was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but in saying that, I thought, there is still some growing pains and some acclamation for Spencer Dinwiddie, but, man, we're nitpicking now. Yeah, well, like we said on the last show, he has the biggest adjustment in what he's doing on the yep. floor in comparison to what he's done in the past. And I felt like exactly what you said, Jack. In that third quarter, he was aggressive and he was Spencer Dinwiddie. In the first half, he was trying to be someone else. You know what I mean? He wasn't really playing his game. And it's going to be tough. I know our guy Bishop, who always uh, interacts with us on Twitter, mentioned that he saw KD talking to Spencer Dinwiddie. So maybe there was something going on there like, hey, Spence, like attack the rim. Do your thing. You miss a couple shots, no big deal. And the same thing with the three-point shot. Just take the threes if you miss whatever. Whatever. I thought, you know, in the second half, he played better. And then the defense, I thought, wasn't like amazing, but it was good enough. And I really liked his defense and I like Joe Harris's defense. I thought Joe really had a nice defensive game and his toughness and strength was on display a couple times when he was holding his own against James Wiseman in the post trying to establish position on him. 
Yeah, I, I just thought that there was... We talked about like defensive communication, defensive leadership last season. It was like Garrett Temple sort of leading the way there, but yep. it seems to be a, a real collective unit now. And so, you know, DJ obviously heading at the helm and Jared Allen, but then KD. And I, you can imagine that if you had Barclays tonight, you would have heard lots of talk, lots of chatter, you know, rotate, rotate, switch, 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 all those sort of things. I just thought that, you know, it, it, it was uh, it was not necessarily a masterclass because, you know, the Golden State Warriors in their current iteration, you know, without Draymond and Stephen Curry obviously being the fulcrum. You know, Kelly Oubre had some nice moments and Andrew Wiggins, uh, maybe not so many nice moments. All of it, Kelly Oubre's moments were off dunks. He was 3 yeah. of 14. Yeah, it was. And look, he's an incredible athlete. But yeah, yeah in, in saying that, the the Nets have great athletes as well, and just and they match that athle- that athleticism with IQ and just quality basketball. Like, because you know, you look at Wiggins and Ubre, and those guys are just good athletes who can have some good basketball plays here and there. But our guys just play we're playing real fundamental basketball, yep. and I think a lot of that goes to the coaching staff. A lot of that goes to you know our two superstar leaders as well. I just thought that the defense. Um, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because, like, one thing I love about the best defenses in the league, you know, Toronto and um, those sort of teams, is the fact that they're willing to, and, and Miami, they're willing to change on the fly. It's like, all right, well, this is what we did against Stephen Curry. This is what we're going to do against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown um, and, and Kemba Walker. Obviously, not going to be playing on Christmas Day, but you know what I'm sort of mean. So yeah. I'm interested to see game by game if it's going to change, what are the, the principles going to be? Is it still going to be a lot of switching? Is there going to be a lot of swarming of Jason Tatum? Because, you know, J- make Jalen Brown make plays. It, yep. It's going to be interesting watching that going forward. And it's going to be fun to recap and just sort of nitpick at it. Because, look, there were times where Jeff Green was at the five tonight. And, you know, Jeff Green with Jared Allen. The rotations, I thought, were were consistent and measured. And uh, yep. it, it just seemed to me that there was just cohesion that I didn't expect in game one. Yeah, especially defensively, like the communication and stuff like that, it gives you more confidence and hope for the team being a good defense throughout the season because the cohesion is there. There's one play in my head where I just see like all the, there's two nets on each side of the floor and they're just communicating, pointing like we're switching off this off ball stuff. And it's just like I can't recall a time last year where I saw like four guys communicating defensively at the same time last season. It's just like they kind of almost are buying into what championship basketball needs to be early on and like hey we know we need to get the reps in at playing at the highest level and we're not going to waste this opportunity because we saw what happened last year with the clippers and like your point with the rotation you know kind of pretty similar to what we saw in the preseason it'll be intriguing if how much he messes with that throughout the year and he's kind of referenced you know steve talking about steve nash he's kind of referenced that he anticipates it changing at different points because of injuries or whatever it might be the 10-man rotation, we obviously have that starting five that we all expected. Jeff Green, Toyin Prince, Jared Allen, Kara Savert, and Landry Shamet, uh, the five coming off the bench. And then in garbage time, you, he basically emptied the the, yep. the bench um, at, at that sort of point. So, But Nick, one thing I wanted to mention, obviously, Kara Savert is the best bench player in the league. It is uh, without question. How good was his defense tonight? Yeah, active hands. I think this is kind of something we've been looking for. And I thought, like, obviously we kind of mentioned the defense of the team just being more aggressive was on display full hand. But this is the type of stuff we need from Karras. We need him to be a disruptor. And if you have so many disruptors on your defense. Oh, that's Kyrie Nick. Oh, Kyrie I get what you're doing there. But uh, KD does it a lot, too. And, like, I think it's easy to forget because Karras hasn't been a good defender the last couple seasons. That wingspan, that length, that quickness, just some of those quick twitch plays that we see. And it's like, hey, that's an easy dunk for Karras, easy dunk for Jerry. Jared Allen, whoever it is, getting that transition offense was huge. And I think that's something that the Nets have really lacked the last couple seasons. 
Yeah, transition offense was absolutely masterful tonight. It was, it was. I don't. Yeah, I can't honestly imagine you know that happening. Twenty eight points in the fast break happening last season. Don't know how many times that would have happened. And, and happen unless you create turnovers. Like that's a really where a lot of the transition buckets come from. And I feel like also you brought this up in the preseason that you see a lot of outlet passes. Like Jared Allen threw a pass all the way past half court tonight off the rebound, and that's something we didn't really see in the past. That's Mike D'Antoni right there and Steve Nash putting their fingerprints on this offense. And I love it. When you have this type of firepower, why not? Yeah, it's literally, you. I said this and I'll say it again. You can imagine them behind the scenes saying, the ball moves faster than the man. Move it. Get the rock moving. And, you know, I think that that's something, you know, if you look at the tonight at the sort of stat line you know the the assists across the board KD had three DJ had one Kai had four Spencer had four Joe Harris had two and there was um you know five for for Karis Avert, two for Jared Allen one for for Jeff Green one for Reggie Perry you know 24 assists but it it was just this synergy where it's just like I don't necessarily it was just team basketball despite the fact that we had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just doing some individual ridiculous plays that no other player in the NBA can do it's I don't know how to sort of explain how there can be beautiful basketball in both senses of the word it's the best of both worlds yeah and I felt like even on some of the plays where there weren't assists they were playing off each other in terms of like setting a screen or reacting to the open space or it was some of those hockey assists that we talk about a lot on this show so like you said Jack I think they're just it was a nice balance and like you didn't really see them break up the offense. Like Kyrie did a lot of his things within the offense. Even KD, occasionally he'll take the ISO. But if you're going to give KD an ISO against any defender on Golden State, almost any defender in the league, there's a couple guys where maybe they can hold their own. But any defender tonight on Golden State and you're going to clear the other four guys to the other side of the court, that's a, a matchup that KD has to take every time, especially if it's the likes of Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, and there was a couple of times where he got the post-up position. I'm sure Kyrie Irving was jealous of that. But he did get the kick out and he got the three anyway. So... Oh. I just thought that they're... Look, it's game one, and it's hard not to overreact. We said that after the, the <laughs> last preseason. But then now the game's mattering, and, and they're continuing to do that. You know, the challenges are going to only increase against Boston, the Boston Celtics, and, you know, they're going to be a much more formidable opponent, despite the fact that Stephen Curry is, is a really, really good player. They've got depth. They've got great coaching there. So um, that's a, a matchup that the Nets are going to want to solidify themselves uh, against. But... 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with Candidate instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only site that moves as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win the season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Look, there was just so many good things, Nick. If we were to talk about you know, the center rotation tonight, DeAndre Jordan had 17 minutes. Jared Allen had 20 minutes. You happy with that? Yeah, I am happy. But I will say some of that's also skewed because of Jared Allen playing more garbage time. You know what I right. mean? Because like right. that second unit carried a little bit into the fourth quarter when they probably didn't need to. So, I mean, I thought Jared Allen's impact in terms of comparison, DeAndre Jordan was on full display. Like he's oh. just a more impactful to play a player. Even the deflection he had on one of the passes, like at the top of the key, DeAndre just doesn't do that type of stuff. And it just helps create some of those transition buckets in which we talked about that play where he stopped ball on Eric Pascal. And then he tried to drive to him on the rim and he blocked it. I was just like, that's an elite defensive play. There's not a ton of guys in the league that can do that. Yeah, and then when uh, Kelly Ubo tried to get like his millionth dunk of the night and he missed yeah. the poster, yep. and Katie's, and then Jared Allen's talking shit. I'm like, hey, yeah, you talk your shit, Jared. You talk your shit. But there were still, you know, obviously probably similar issues that I think plague Jared Allen in terms of just his aggression and composure down low when he yep. does get the ball. But he makes up for it with all the things that you mentioned, Nick. And I think his offensive rebounding as well. He's Three continuing tonight. to go for those boards. Three tonight with, to go with um, the, the four boards um, that he got on um, the defensive side of the ball. So I think that he's continuing to maintain aggression. If he just fixes up a few little things, again, only 22 years old, younger than Jason Tatum maybe. I don't even know that. We'll have to get <laughs> We'll wait to that game. But I just thought in terms of as well, my favorite play of his tonight on the offensive end was on the short roll, that kick out to Joe Harris for the three. I put out a, a not so savory uh, meme in response to it, but man, that was such a good play. Yeah. It's, he's just becoming a smarter basketball player. We like to see more aggression in the paint where like he should probably be a little bit more dominant. But I also feel like, you know, a lot of the Warriors players weren't doing anything but running to the paint and trying to rebound. So it was like kind of where they're spending a lot of their energy. And they do have some big bodies down there that aren't necessarily good at other things. That's why they struggle on a lot of different aspects. But if he can just dunk a couple more times, I think that's going to be more impactful. You know what I mean? Like he should just have the mindset of like Amari, just say, hey, I'm a hammer everything in the paint because if I don't get the if I don't get the bucket, I'm gonna get the call at the free throw line and five yeah. free throws tonight. About to say that, you know, hit four of them as well. I'm not going to read into it too much, but it seemed to me that he looked confident and his form was a little more fluid, or is it, is that just me? Uh, it helps when KD, you know, smacks you on the ass before you shoot a free throw. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Man, I, I got the best superstar in the league giving me a, a hype up here. Yeah, I feel, honestly feel like it's easy to forget, Jack, also, because obviously we're a little bit older than some of the younger guys in this team, that, like, you are starstruck and, like, having such a, a mentor in your life or such, like, a figure that you idolize, like, Jared Allen grew up probably watching Kevin Durant. He played at Texas. Like, he, they showed him his highlight tape when he got recruited. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. there is definitely some feelings there in terms of, like, this is my guy. And, like, that that is going to help him. And I think it's going to help Karis LeVert because we saw Karis LeVert getting uh, some, some help from Kyrie Irving on the bench. Oh, man. His game tonight, I think the threes were probably the thing that impressed me most because he just had aggression and he got, look, three or five from three and five or six from the free throw line, 20 points. You know, six or 17 from the field doesn't look too great, 
But it, to, to me, I'm just like, damn, he looked more efficient than that. You know, he was still plus 18 uh, and still had five assists and had nine rebounds as well, you know, on the yep. verge of a triple-double there. I just thought he's, he might have been one of the best. Uh, no, he wasn't. But it, it was just he might so have been damn- the third best player on the court. Oh, quite easily. Yeah, quite yeah. easily. Look, you know, Stephen Curry wasn't as efficient as he was, but, you know, Curry was just like, you know what, I've got second units, and he is just so damn confident to drive on him. To, and when he's out there with Kyrie and, and KD, the fluidity in that shot right now off the catch yep. it looks pretty damn good to me. And he hit one off the dribble as well, which we know he's incredibly comfortable with. I just thought, you know, Karras Avert, now he's the next third star, Nick. Yeah, and I thought the three-point shot, even on the misses, looked clean. Like, they weren't bad misses. It was ones that kind of rim out, which happens to everybody. Like you said, it didn't feel like 6 of 17. It felt more like 6 of 14. Like, it didn't feel super efficient, but it felt like most of the misses weren't that bad. I feel like maybe there was a couple times he could have got maybe a couple free throw calls, but or he got his own offensive rebound, and Jared Allen did, and ended up getting a bucket for the Nets and just kind of disrupting or kind of, yeah, disrupting the Warriors' defense and what they're trying to do, collapsing everything in the paint and setting others up. And be it he gets the assist or someone else got the assist – did you feel like at certain times he could use another ball handler or Landry Shamit can fill up that role eventually? There were times where Landry Shamit looked at him like, oh, okay, there's this sort of like three-man game with him and Jared, uh, with him and Jared Allen as well. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's nice. And you, you kick one out to Shamit or, or Shamit has decent enough ball handling, ball handling skills to be able to, to make the pass and make the read. I, I, I saw your tweet and sort of saying that, you know, whether Dinwiddie and Levert paired with each other in certain times can impact each other positively. Yeah, I, I think that they certainly can. But I also think that there's just a lot of capable basketballers in this yeah. team. You know, I remember Bob Myers in seasons passing at like, you know, whatever conferences he sort of said, it's just like, yeah, you've got like, you know, these three-point specialists and these athletes or whatever. But what that sort of those, and like I said, this on, I think, a, an outlet pod, your weaknesses get found out against yep. the best teams and in the postseason. And if you can't do more than one thing, then you are going to get exploited for not being able to do that one thing. Whereas the Nets have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. And it helps having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as well. Yeah, it cleans up a lot of stuff. And honestly, I sent that tweet in the first half. In the second half, in the third quarter, I saw Landry Shaman a little bit more of the ball in his hands. And I wonder if that was an adjustment from Steve Nash telling Karras to get others involved more, or just like other guys stepping up. And I feel like maybe that could be the case and he can kind of grow in that role. Talking to Robert Flom of the Clippers coverage, he mentioned Landry Shamit's ball handling and how the Clippers probably try to overuse it at certain points. But if the Nets use him more as a secondary ball handler, I think it could be you know impactful at certain points during the year. But obviously, when you get into the playoffs, you don't really necessarily have to worry about that because all the minutes are going to be super staggered and Kyrie and KD are going to be playing 40 plus. So. Very true, very true. What did you think of Landry Shamit's game and, and and some of the other bench guys? You know what that sticks out to me about Landry Shamit? I don't even really pay attention to the box score all the time for him. I think he's a really smart basketball player. Like, yep. I just think he makes a lot of good reads out there. Like, there was a play in transition where he dished the ball up to Karis LeVert, and then he relocated behind the three-point line, like, almost instantly, ended up hitting the three. I think his shot's going to be kind of fluctuate, you know, with a lot of young three-point shooters. You know, it's hard to be consistent. But he does have a super quick trigger. Like he, he does. does not. It doesn't take much for him to get the ball off. It's. It might be faster than Joe Harris. It's. It's. It's certainly faster than Joe Harris. Joe Harris. He seems to get uh, a bit more. Needs to get a bit more. Like just. He's not Duncan Robinson. You know. He, yeah, yeah. But he's certainly. He's. He's. He's, he's incredibly quick. accurate. You know. Since 2017-18, he's the most accurate three-point shooter in the league. Even more accurate than you know the best shooter in the history of the game, Stephen Curry. So look, I think that even if he's not having good shooting nights, it's just like. You, do, you still have the confidence that he has that gravity 
unlike an Alan Crabb. Like, if he goes one of four, it's just like, oh, did he really? I thought he went, like, you know, two or five. Yep. And it, that's what it sort of felt like to me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't look at the box score during the game. I normally look at it when we're sort of chatting and sort of going, ah, oh, really? And it was like, you know, the six or seven team with Karis Levert. But, yeah, I just think that the, the bench unit right now, it, it could rival a lot of starting units yep. in the NBA. Even if Marv Albert thinks uh, Karis Levert's only starting on... 70% of NBA teams, man. <laughs> Mark Albert and Chris Webber, really? We got yeah. that for the opening game? God damn it. It was pretty rough for both guys. Uh, Marv Albert's getting up there in age. It's tough for him to recognize which player is which. You know, how many times he called uh, Marquise Chris Andrew Wiggins? I'm not really sure. But And what did he call, like, Timothy? How did he say Timothy Luau Cabaret? Timothy Luau or something? I, oh. he, I think at first he just wanted to say Timothy. So, like, he, did, <laughs> he didn't want to say the last name. And then I feel like someone was like, bro, you got to say his last name. Like, <laughs> but, uh, again, on Chamon, I also like the take that he had in the second half where he went hard to the rim and got the free throws. He didn't finish the layup but that's just like okay not hit my three three point shot let me do my thing and jeff green again like he's looking like a major steal just what he can provide we saw, like you mentioned earlier we saw the small ball lineup to finish the first half and hitting the three got his mandatory dunk of the game like we're good he is he's gonna be a key contributor going forward and you know he like i said many and many a time he just unlocks so many different things he provides the athleticism you know if toy and prince isn't on the jeff green's got, got that athleticism and that vet iq you know then it's always good to have that veteran presence but the veteran presence that can contribute on the court yeah. you know, jared dudley did that in spurts but i think jeff green is going to be doing it quite consistently yeah, definitely, especially because the second unit is relatively young. It's really young, actually. Just Jared Allen, Landry Shamit, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert. You know, LeVert and Prince are kind of more so vets, I guess, to this point. But Jared Allen, Landry Shamit, both guys, what, Shamit's third year in the league, Jared Allen's fourth, I believe. So, like, yep. you know, it's good to have that presence out there. And he and he understands, too, at certain points. Like, I remember he got the ball at seven seconds to shot clock. You'd see a young guy with Rodion's try to pass to somebody else. Like, Jeff Green knows, like, hey, I have to take the shot here. I have to make a play, or it's just going to end up being a shot clock violation. So some of those heady things from a vet is always good. Yeah, if you're talking about, you know, the yesteryear and years past about, you know, that four position, those wing positions, yep. where the Nets have just had such a gap and just, like, guys who just can play consistent basketball. Now, we can't expect that from Rodion's course. Obviously, you know, his rookie season was a, a big flash in the pan. But, you know, Jeff Green is just going to be steady, steady, steady. And, you know, I just think that the rotation, because if you have the superstardom of Kevin Durant, you don't have to do all these little things. Yeah. You're not forced to do the extra things like, you know, we had... Like we needed Toy and Prince to do in seasons past. Like we needed Rodion's chorus to do in season past. We have Kevin freaking Durant, Nick. Yeah, and it feels like too is like you don't necessarily have to worry about winning every single small aspect of the game like you're talking about, Jack. Like you're just focusing on more of the bigger things because you have the talent to match up with anyone. And it's like you have this great starting lineup that's one of the best in the NBA. But then like you mentioned, you have arguably the best bench unit in the NBA. So if you go go into that second quarter already having a lead, the bench unit might end up boosting it a little bit more for you. Just that's the type of situation Nets are going to be in a lot. And like I joked about it a lot over the offseason as like this team could be in a lot of blowouts, but I feel better about that joke now just because like you mentioned with the cohesion, just so many offensive weapons, it's it's going to be a tough team to stop. And not to say Golden State is a bad team, but they're definitely not one of the best teams in the league and they still have a lot of work to do and they're almost a good matchup for the Nets because it's just so Steph centric. Yeah, look, I, I was. Uh, I didn't. I never have confidence in, with Brooklyn Nets games. I'm always a little less optimistic. But man, Katie and Curry might be changing that soon. Nick, I talked about this on pre on a previous pod. I can't remember if it was the last yeah. one, or the one before that, about our rebounding. 
Now, the Nets won the rebounding battle 57 to 47 tonight. Now, obviously, that you can point that down to, like, you know, the Warriors missing a lot of shots. Uh, but I think that rebounding, the Nets are just doing well. Yeah, I think that uh, the guards are getting more involved this year. That's Joe cool. Harris. Like, you look at Joe Harris's numbers. Joe Harris had seven boards, two yep. offensive boards for Joe Harris. When's the last time Joe Harris had more than one offensive board or any offensive boards? Yeah, I mean, even you look at Karis LeVert, like you mentioned earlier, nine rebounds. You have five from KD. You know, DeAndre had 11. Jared Allen had seven. You have uh, five from Spencer Dinwiddie. I felt like I felt Spencer in the board area a little bit, too. And yep. Joe has a knack for like getting defensive boards and like ripping them from people. So I love that too. Like, I, I swear, like I, I felt like you tonight, his toughness and strength. I was just watching Joe Harris and I was just like, man, I just absolutely love this guy as a role player. He's just like the, the perfect player to have on a team like this. And he doesn't care about doing the dirty work. And I'm not showing a shot at JJ Redick or Kyle Korver, but he does things that they wouldn't do. And it's not because like they're soft or anything like that. Joe's just like, more of a physical player like he's just yeah. more his body is built to deal with some of the bigger bodies in the nba where kyle corver jj reddick didn't necessarily have that much weight on them yeah and i think both of those guys are better pure shooters and yep. they are the elite of the elite and job's probably at that point of his career now where if he maintains the consistency he can get into that realm but those guys have been doing it for like you know nine a decade but yep. like you mentioned nick joe harris in terms of the physicality that he provides and the desire to be physical he wants that contact he's got the tattoos now you drive into that elbow get the elbow up in the air yeah. joey buckets he and look i think that Four, and we just talk about his game tonight. Ten points, seven boards, two assists. Did have a block as well. Two of five from three, four of eight from the field. I think that the the attention he's going to get from national media throughout the year, it's going to be like, we're going to get sick of hearing them say, oh, Joe Harris is more than a shooter. Oh, I didn't yeah. know Joe Harris could keep We've been saying it for two years. <laughs> We've been saying it for goddamn two years. And there was a really good story on The Athletic that I read the other day, um, a, a deep dive on Joe Harris since his high school days and talking about him not only as a basketballer but just as a guy and like he was talking about it like high school and college he's like you know some of my teammates are down coach is there something we can do for them and i'm just like oh my god how can i fall more in love with you it just it just, uh, great piece so go check it out in the athletic but yeah joe harris is gonna be he's gonna be big for the for the nets this season and um like katie said he better be shooting it because uh or else katie's gonna give him some shit about it yeah, and I think it's great that he's forcing him, like we talked about yesterday on the previous show, like forcing him to take some of these tougher shots because yep. that's the type of shots that you're going to have to take in the postseason. But And like we've heard a lot this summer, like you said, oh, Joe Harris is just a shooter. His defense is so bad. But excuse me, I think one thing Joe Harris does, like he's not an elite on-ball defender. He doesn't have that skill set, but he understands his role in the defense and does a very good job playing to his help. Like, he understands who's behind him and where he can kind of funnel somebody to so he can be in a good position or just make their shot that much harder. I think that's what the Nets did incredibly well tonight, yeah. Nick. I, I think, think it's by design. Of their, we saw this a little bit with uh, Kenny Atkinson, obviously, with the drop coverage. But I think we've heard – I want to say it was comment from Karis Avert saying, hey, we have three elite rim protectors on this team, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, and Kevin Durant. We know they have our back so we can be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, Kevin Durant has had a block in every single game that he's played as a Brooklyn Net. Like, that's wild to say. It yeah. is, it, it's incredible to, to say because, we, you know, it was the thing that we were worried about most. And, you know, we've got Nolan Jensen dropping takes from Nets Republic about the fact he's going to be on all defense. I'd love it. You know, he played pretty damn good on that end of the floor tonight. But, yeah, I just think that the, the, the team cohesion on both ends of the floor, too, obviously it's a one-game sample size, Nick, yep. but... Are you, does tonight's performance and, you know, the whatever you want to take from the preseason give you more confidence going forward about the Brooklyn Nets question marks on the defensive end? 
Yeah, I would say so. I think just the fact that Kevin Durant is looking so healthy, and I feel yeah. like guys are testing him. Like you saw Andrew uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins go at him a, t- a couple times. You saw Wiseman go at him a couple times, and he was like, "I'm blocking that stuff. Get that out of here." Like I'm Kevin Durant still. Like I still have six eleven with a crazy wingspan. So yeah, for sure, it gives me more confidence. I was already pretty high in this team and going to the finals and winning it. But every time I see something on the court, just makes sense. And even just like the defense from the other guys, like we talked about, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert. All those guys are question marks coming into the season. Can they play good enough defense to help this team? And the answer tonight was yes. You know, and even, you know, Torian Prince, uh, Jeff Green, too. Like, these guys played up to the level. The only one who really, like, I wasn't super happy with this game was probably DeAndre Jordan. Obviously, I have a little bit of bias there, but obviously I'm going to hate the game if you start it with a turnover. And then there was a couple plays where, like, he still did not get out on three-point shooters. And it's just, like, those type of lazy plays you can't have. And I get it. Sometimes making the rotation late, it doesn't really do anything, but sometimes you just have to do it to show that you care. Yeah, and there were also times where he hung out there too much, and it's just yeah. like, DJ, uh, you can read that. You know, you have built a reputation of being at least, you know, a, a decent defensive player uh, across your career, and, you know, some of that might have been just pure athleticism, but, you know, you're smart enough to actually just rotate there. Um, yeah. And, you know, it certainly is frustrating, but again, nitpicking at the smaller things. I and- felt like he was better in his, suck- his second stint of minutes instead of his first like I felt like the first one like he felt like he was playing in Tim's like we saw different parts last year I agree I agree with that I agree with that as well but um one thing I wanted to ask Nick now this is the the Nets are clicking on all cylinders tonight how can they get better uh turnovers what they have 20 turnovers tonight Jack I think I'll double check yeah so like I still think there's plenty of sloppy plays uh, in terms of just turnovers, new teammates, that stuff's going to happen. Obviously, I think they're going to be a team that turns over the ball at a decent rate, just given how they want to play offensively. But still, I think you can clean up some of that. I think so, there were still some de- defensive communications and things along those lines, and they didn't stick out as much as because Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Eric Pascal aren't guys that are going to hurt you to the highest extent. You know what I mean? Against Boston, I think some of the issues we saw tonight might stick out a little bit more, but overall, it's just kind of fine-tuning things and continuing to clean things up and just you know, take out all the mistakes. Obviously, there's always going to be a couple mistakes, but the more you can clean up, the better it's going to be. And I feel like you have to feel better because the cohesion and the understanding of the scheme is only going to continue to improve. What about Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I, I agree with that. I think the, the habits of winning basketball are being built now. The championship yep. habits, as, as Katie alluded to them last year, you know, in the locker room with Kenny Atkinson at the team. And, and it seems to me that, you know, on both ends of the floor, you know, they are leading the way. You know, Kyrie Irving, I thought, showed great intensity on, on the defensive and the ball. You know, he's not going to have that he every single night. He in his stance and he, like, really looks like he wants to defend. Yeah, I think that there's a real engagement there from him. I think, you know, whether that's Kevin Durant holding him accountable, Steve Nash holding him accountable, whoever else. But there's also, like, times where, like, him or Karras will gamble. But yeah. they can gamble now because you've got KD and Jared Allen and Jeff Green backing you up. Yeah. So I think that's, that those mistakes sometimes aren't necessarily as pronounced when last season, you know, those gambles would lead to just easy open layups because there wasn't the communication and leadership on the defensive side of the floor. You know, I think offensive execution sometimes was a little bit sloppy. Sometimes the ball got a little bit stagnant, but I'm probably nitpicking a little bit there. You know, I I alluded to, you know, Spencer Dimity probably playing, you know, the the level of basketball that we saw in that third quarter more consistently. You know, the turnovers, you know, I think some of them were were from him. You know, he had three himself. You know, it it seemed to be more of a sort of team sort of thing. And I think that a, a large majority of those 20 turnovers 
were positive turnovers, if that makes any sense. Yeah. They're trying to get the ball moving. They're trying to get in the open court. And I'll take those turnovers. I'll take an extra five of those if it means that, you know, we get 10 extra points on the other end of the floor. You know, and I think that the guys know that. I think Steve Nash will be preaching that and Dan Tony will be preaching that. It's fine-tuning, Nick. And again, this is game one of 72. And hopefully, you know, the, the guys pull up okay. KD pulls up all right. You know, Kyrie Irving looked like he was looking at his finger. I think he's pinky, which looked a bit, little bit strapped at one point in time. You yeah. know, uh, I think that they were talking about that on the broadcast. Hopefully that's a non-issue because, you know, he's looked pretty damn good otherwise. So I think, yeah, it's just all those sort of little things that's that go take you from being, you know, a really good regular season team to being a great team and a great postseason team. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too when they have a bad three-point shooting night. You know what I mean? Like they shot 42 tonight and if they shoot over 40 throughout the season, like at different points, they're just going to be incredibly hard to stop because they have so many good three point shooters. So I'm kind of intrigued how they deal with one of those weird shooting nights that happen to every NBA team. But like you said, one game sample size, so we can really only address so much. And we kind of have no idea what Golden State's going to be like there. There's a chance they could be a bad team. Like I'm not ruling that as a possibility, especially given they're missing Draymond and missing Clay for the entire year. Oh, they're a bad team without Draymond. Without Draymond, they're you know essentially last I mean, I, season. Honestly, you could probably argue they could end up being a bad team with Draymond. I'm not it trying could. to take a ton for one game sample size, but if we I'm not to get off topic, but we talked about this a lot in the outlet and on their power ranking stuff. I was a little concerned about how much Steph Curry could do if no one else on the offense is getting respect and no one else can create plays for him, and that was really the case tonight. And that's why, you know, the Nets are in such a good spot because they have four, five guys that can do it for themselves. It's, yep. a, it's a plethora of riches. And, you know, I don't think that the Nets take that for granted in any respect of the word. So uh, I guess in general, Nick, what do you want to see more of, less of? What do you think needs to change heading into the Boston Celtics game? You know, what are the keys there in, on Christmas Day? You know what? I just want to see more of Nets basketball so I can make a better observation of what I'm seeing out there because it's such a small sample size. I think, you know, you're going to try to clean up the turnovers, but I don't think it's realistic to expect some of those turnovers to get cleaned up because like you mentioned, some of them were positive. It's like overpassing or trying to set your teammates up for a big play or something like that. And it's hard to get upset about that. I think I'm intrigued to see how they match up with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, given they have two offensive options. They have a better defense too, so that should be good. The defense is really good. That's one yeah. thing I'm intrigued to see now. We saw the preseason. I don't think you can take a lot from that matchup, but we have elite shot makers, but I think that the the Boston Celtics are going to be even more engaged. You know, I was shouting to the guys on the Celtics lab, you know, another podcast on the OTG network, and they were sort of talking about, you know, that they sort of discarded, you know, the, the regular season. It was more just sort of experimental. So, you know, throwing yeah. different guys out there, the rookie, see what would happen with Nesmith and, and Pritchard and those sort of dudes. I thought that was a really good point. And so I don't, I'm not reading into it, but, you know, I think they are a much better team. And they were one of the top four-ish teams yeah. in the East Conference. And the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to go through them if they're going to want to play, you know, regular and, and decent regular season basketball and meaningful postseason basketball. Yeah, and obviously no Kemba Walker in that game too. So only not as big a test as it could be, but still a good test to go against some of those guys. And like you said, a well-coached team. Brad Stevens obviously wasn't going to show his hand against the Nets. They didn't really have much to lose. I do think some of that, though, was bad play from Boston, and they do need to correct some things going into this game, or the Nets could end up cooking them too. Yeah, look, I'm not as confident as a 26-point win uh, as, I, as I was after sort of like, you know, the first or second quarter tonight. You know, if the Nets can have a 40-point first quarter again, then they're, uh, they're going to be scary. They are scary good offensively right now, Nick. Yeah, especially when you're not careful with the basketball. 
because that's when they get those easy baskets. They get those transition threes, and all of a sudden, if it's a two-point game turns into a 10-point game, and I kind of felt like that's what happened in the first quarter because Golden State started the game just going back and forth, back and forth. Next thing you know, it was 18-8. to eight. Yeah, and the thing is, like, KD isn't afraid of the contact. He's driving like a madman. Yep. Kyrie ain't afraid of the contact either. You know, all of our guys are confident drivers, so that's what makes the transition basketball even more deadly because, you know, if you're you're going to have to foul them, and they're pretty comfortable at the line. Yeah, and one thing that KD was... He's a little out of rhythm with, and I've noticed this in preseason. I noticed this in tonight's game. Going left and shooting with his right hand on that layup, it's like a little push shot type of thing. You know you know what I'm talking about? He missed that, I want to say, two or three times. That's one of his go-to moves. He's going to get that in his bag by the end of the season. And when he does, it's just going to be that much harder to stop. Like I want to say he missed that three times tonight, and, and most nights he's going to hit it at least two or three. You know what I'd love as well, Nick? Just a little bit of a nitpick because... We spoke about it probably a lot last season. I, I want to see. Can you guess what I what I what I'm loving uh, about tonight's performance? Um, I, I don't know, Jack. There's so many things to choose from. So it, rela- it relates to what we were just talking about before in terms of just the aggression and getting to a certain spot and actually executing when going to that certain spot. I don't know, Jack. I'm, I'm the free throws, baby. The free oh, throws. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The free throws. When you have Kevin around hitting 7 of 7, Spencer Dibble hitting 4 of 4, it felt like he would have like 4 of 10 some night. Yeah. Kyra hitting 2 of 2, Jared Allen hitting 4 of 5, Carlos Avert 5 of 6, Landry Shamit 3 of 4. Oh, 80% is going to be a good number. I'm happy yeah. with that number. And I think it helps that you have two of the best free throw shooters in the league in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant because that almost sets the tone. You know what I mean? You saw last year, Spencer was the main guy at a lot of different points last year, and he had those free throw issues, and then it gets contagious. Jared Allen misses three. Joe Harris ends up missing one. Torian Prince can't hit any. Now you have KD, Kyrie setting the tone, hitting their free throws. I think it just helps the whole team. I think also just like the positive vibes and kind of always thinking you're going to win now. You know what I mean? I don't think, I don't know if they think that right now, but by the end of the season, they're, they're going to be in a place where they're probably going to think that on most nights, if not yeah, all. Yeah, they, they, with the talent on the roster right now, they should be expecting to win and they should be upset. But, you know, I think that the one thing that I'm going to be looking for, and it'll probably come at least in certain points against the Boston Celtics, how do the Nets deal with adversity on yeah. the court? They haven't had that at all yet in the in the two preseason season matchups and tonight. That's when the real test is going to occur, and that's when you know we'll see the the real Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I'm intrigued if we'll even see it against Boston, just given some of the injuries. It's like we might have to wait a few weeks until we see them pushed. Because if Boston know, does higher on the Celtics, maybe I'm a bit higher on the Celtics. So, but I just think that you know a guy like Jason Tatum hitting a heap of shots, you know Jalen Brown being pesky, Marcus Smart, you know forcing Kevin Durant into some bad shots. I think they're going to be good, and I well, think it's going. Think... Yeah, I was going to say I think they can be good, but I also could see a scenario where they're just you know, not there yet. Like, I think they're a good team and I think they're going to be a great team this year. But I think it's easy to assume that, you know, some teams are going to come into the gate a little slow because the season did just start. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's totally fair. And, you know, you would expect the Brooklyn Nets to be one of those teams with so many new pieces and and different things to acclimate. New head coach. (laughs) Yeah, new head coach, all those different things. But, yeah, we could... We We got some questions, though, right, Jack? We do have some questions. We do have some questions. And first one I wanted to hit up was our our guy, Pete Toll. He said, what was something that didn't show up in the box score that you loved the most out of tonight? I think we already kind of discussed it, the cohesion. You know, the communication between the team on defense, offense, and then just some of the smart basketball plays and making the reads and playing off of each other. It's just something I didn't necessarily anticipate in game one. Yeah, I think that just the 
the intangible chemistry was yep. something that I saw on both ends of the floor. And, you know, especially defensively, that's something that, you know, normally takes some time to sort of iron out the kinks. It was something that took some time to iron out the kinks in the early points of last season. Then the Nets established their system and they go bang, bang, bang. Whereas I think the Nets have a much more free-flowing system on both ends of the floors. You know, we yep. heard Kyrie sort of say that, you know, we haven't got a really, we haven't been executing a lot of plays yet. A lot of it's just sort of read and react. You know, I think that, defensively there is a lot of that as well because we have a lot of guys who are just smart and good communicators and that leads to good things on both ends of the floor so i think just those intangibles were something that i i thoroughly enjoyed yeah i agree jack 100 percent. and i think that's kind of the stuff that we always are looking for you can look at the box score and find stuff but it's that other thing they're gonna that's gonna be the difference in types of being a championship team we know the talent is there it's about those other intangibles yeah it's about establishing the identity of the brooklyn nets like when yep. you think of the best teams in the league, you automatically, you know, associate them with something. You know, the Lakers in their insane defense and LeBron James running the floor with Anthony Davis as the second best superstar. The Brooklyn Nets are starting to do those things now, yep. but we're in game one and it's going to be a long damn grind. We had Manolo jump in as well, Nick. Uh, one thing I'd like to ask, if the Nets make the finals or win it all, do they re-sign Spencer and Allen if they aren't traded by then? Now, obviously, we talked about on the, the pod with Nolan about not signing Jared Allen. Do you want to explain the sort of poison pill thing, Nick, for those who aren't necessarily totally aware of it? Yeah, so pretty much what it is, if they were to extend Jared Allen, the the trade in which they make the contract has – they're trading Jared Allen essentially as if he has next year's contract. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? So I don't know what he's making this year. I want to say it's like $5 million, and let's Something assume like we that. made $14 million. Now the other team has to be able to take that $14 million but the nets aren't sending out 14 million they're, they're sending, sending out, out five. five yeah yep. so that's it gets extremely complicated and then you can only work with a couple teams in the league or you have to find that third team and like we talked about from the jared allen perspective it never really made sense and to answer uh Menlo's question i definitely think if they win a championship they'll probably resign both guys like i yeah. think josiah is not going to waste his not <laughs> he's going to put out the money if they win Look, you, you saw what's happening with the Golden State Warriors right now. They're paying all their guys, and they're deep, deep, deep into the luxury tax. Yep. Tremont Green's on like a $100 million deal. Clay got a max. Steph got a max. You know, I think that if you are playing winning basketball, and, you know, obviously there are economic sort of factors that sort of go into account, and I've spoken about in the past that Joe Sy's wealth has increased over this year um, due to uh, a number of different circumstances, and I have him in, in my head and by my estimation as one of the top five richest owners in the, in the league. And and I think he's going to continue to grow with that. Um, you can read into that whatever you will and how that affects the team going forward. We've already seen that he's been willing to pay. You know, that Joe Harris contract is a is a pretty hefty deal. And, you know, yep. to retain him, you know, 475 isn't chump change. But when it comes to Spencer, I'm, I'm questionable because I think Spencer, you know, if we continue to have these questions about Spencer's role, Spencer knows, like, you know what, I can be, like, you know, a, a secondary ball handler where I'm more comfortable having the ball in my hands, whether it's in, like, you know, a Dallas or, or another sort of team sort of in, in that sort of respect. Whereas, you know, there, his skill set, you know, Karis Avert, if he's continues to play as well as he does and Spencer does, doesn't, then does that sort of, you know, yeah. create a sense of envy for Spencer Dinwiddie? Look, I don't know. but it, this I think game... it's also just not even envy too, Jack. I think it's career fulfillment. Yep. You yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. you want to be the best that you possibly could be. So, like I said, I think the Nets would do everything they can. But I could see Spencer, like, he's a guy that led this team to the playoffs, you know, at different points during the last two years. So, like, he could he could want to see how good he can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Final one, Nick. Uh, Charles Bar Barkley brought up the conversation again at halftime. Would you trade Levert, Allen, and Dinwiddie for Harden, or would you prefer the depth? Um, I say no deal. What say you guys? This is from at King M. Kem 
King Miggle. Kim, King <laughs> M- what, uh, I don't King know how to say Big L, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you, you got it, my dude. Um, I feel like, you know, we've already kind of wanted to see this team. So I don't think it's really changed my mind. I want to see the Nets play. I want to see with this depth what they can be. Obviously, the James Harden stuff still going to be out there. I mean, I feel like you're feeling less interest in the offer day by day. Like we talked about after preseason, the team looks so good. that it's like, do you really want to screw this up? And how much better does James Harden make them? Like, obviously, the ceiling is going to be substantially higher. But like I mentioned before, I think the floor is going to be lower. And with this team that they have now, it almost feels a little bit safer. Yeah, definitely. I think that the ball is now swung. The pendulum has swung where it's just like, you know what? The the Brooklyn Nets were trying to clamor for him. You know, Kevin Durant wanted to trade for him. You see the way that the Brooklyn Nets played tonight? You keep James Harden. You keep that strip club attending pandemic um defying superstar you know in your sort of area of the woods i'd much rather have you know the depth that the Brooklyn nets have right now and look it might not last and you know but i think that right i said this in the celtics lab as well because there were boston celtics rumors surrounding james harden too the around the houston rockets uh, the team the opposing teams are the ones with the leverage at this point in time maybe not yep. the Sixers, but every other team is certainly in that in in that regard yeah, and it doesn't work out, trade for James Harden in the offseason. If someone else makes a move for him, they probably overpaid. So you're feeling okay with it. It's kind of similar to how I felt about the Drew Holiday stuff. Like, Drew Holiday would have been a great fit on this team, but trading essentially five first-round picks for Drew Holiday doesn't really make sense. Like, it it kind of made sense for the Bucks, but still, it's still not necessarily one of the best moves. And actually, our boy Corey Waldron hit us with a question. What were your oh, thoughts on like? Kyrie Irving's defense? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, we alluded to it a little bit earlier. There are times where Kyrie just looks so damn engaged. He's moving his feet. He's got his stance low. You know, he opened up some possessions on Kyrie, on, on Stephen Curry. You know, but there are also times where if you put him in the pick and roll, he is going to die. Like, yeah, he's yeah. going to just collapse. And, but he's I not think a big that, guy. <laughs> he's not. And look, he's not, you know, Kemba Walker or Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas in that sort of respect either. He's still like, you know, six foot two-ish, you know, yep. probably a little bit shorter than, than you and I, Nick. But in saying that, I think he wants to to lead there. He realizes, you know, he is a leader of this team and it starts on both ends of the floor, you know? You want to get those insane logo shots. You want to get those insane baseline shots. You better set the tone on both ends of the floor. And, you know, he's not going to be like this, you know, for 72 games. I alluded to that (laughs) earlier. But if he continues to show it uh, enough and, you know, his teammates, Kevin Durant and the coaches hold him accountable for doing, you know, poor things and uh, showing poor behaviors that end of the floor, then I'm going to be more than happy, mate. Yeah, I think his defense will be better on nights where he goes against Steph Curry, Dame Willard, you know, Russell Westbrook, whoever it might be. The elite, the other elite guards in the league, like he's going to make sure he plays some defense. He doesn't want to end up on a highlight on the other end. Yep, not totally, totally fair, but... Look, it is um, a fun buzz, Nick. I don't know if we're going to remember this like one for a long time. Like there, yeah. are, there's a few Brooklyn buzzes that we do, and you know the one that sort of sticks out is the Kevin Durant one. Yeah, you know, I, that's, you know our first ever podcast. But you know, going into what is it, our fourth season of this yeah. thing. You know, I'm in my fifth season of JBT. You and Corey have been smashing the outlet. The OTG network is growing. Um, it feels like Thanksgiving. I'm feeling like great. <laughs> To be a Brooklyn Nets fan and grateful to be on the Brooklyn Buzz, being able to co-host with you. Um, 
I want to savor this right now because who knows what's going to happen in 10 games time, but I'm going to stick to the mentality of, of, of the roster and just go one game at a time. I'm going to savor this win until the Boston Celtics game. I think Kevin Durant said the same thing after the game. So you guys are in sync already, Jack. But uh, I agree. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to co-host this with you, Jack, and just talk about the Nets on a regular basis. And obviously, we enjoy talking about the team for the last couple of years, but we're going to enjoy it even more this season because they're one of the most talented teams in the league, and they have two of the best players in the league, and one possibly being the best in Kevin Durant. And it's cool, too, is because we have the best of both worlds where we got this new these new superstars, and then we also still have some of our old favorites in Kara Savert and Joe Harris and Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie. So it's like almost the perfect fan experience for this team. Yeah, I think in, in that sort of respect, you know, not to go too overboard, you sort of see like people saying, oh, they bought their championship, blah, 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 blah. Where it's just like you mentioned, there's the amalgamation of both. You know, Sean yep. Marks brought up Karis Avert, and we have that emotional attachment to him and Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie. And clearly for me, <laughs> Joe Harris, wearing my Joe Harris t-shirt right now. Um, yeah, th- th- this is going to be a fun season, Nick. And it's uh, game one and God damn, I'm buzzing again. And um, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling. It is a nice feeling. Yeah, I'm super excited, Jack. Always fun talking Nets with you. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And obviously, make sure you're checking out the buzz after every game on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsapog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.